Well, very good evening to you all. Thank you. It's great to be here, isn't it? And we're going to be continuing in First Thessalonians tonight. First Thessalonians in chapter four. Uh, last week, and um, Joel Rankin spoke to us, and he told us about our need for sexual purity. Now what this start of this chapter is saying is Paul is calling us to sanctification and the two areas in which that shows itself in which it, it manifests in our life is firstly through sexual purity and then Paul secondly goes on to speak about through love and specifically love between brothers and sisters in Christ within a church. So we'll read from verse 9 just there. Now... Concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For indeed that is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly. And to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands. As we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Let's just pray before we start tonight. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the grace which you have shown to us in Christ Jesus. And as we reflect on this, we are amazed at the wonder of how you would send your one and only Son into this world so that... Sinners such as us might be given um, salvation from the punishment which we are heading towards, which we deserved, and be brought into new life in Christ to have the hope of eternity to spend with you. We thank you for the grace which you have shown to us, and we ask that in the light of this grace we would open your word and and read it in a manner which is pleasing and honourable to you and to the importance of it. I ask, Father, that you would give me the strength and the help so that the words which come out of my mouth might be from your word and but guided by your Holy Spirit for the, the edification of us all, for the glorification of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Right, so, like I said, there are two results that Paul is speaking about here from sanctification. The first being a, a sexually pure life, a, a life that is not given to these, these passions, passions which the world would so often fall to. But secondly, Paul speaks of, of love, and a, and a brotherly love, a love amongst the church. Now, it's really no surprise that Paul mentions love here, because love is such an essential part of the church. It's, it's associated with the church. A church without love is like uh, a wall without any cement. It's, 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 our love is the cement which holds us together as a brick is, is held to another brick and then another brick by cement and, and creates a wall. So too is the love that holds us together what builds us as a church. Paul actually mentions love within the church in every single one of his epistles. Um, and for that, every single epistle in the New Testament also mentions um, a, a love within the church and a call to love your brothers and your sisters. 
It is really an essential part of the church. It is an indication of the health of the church. And a church which is healthy is guaranteed to have love. It's a real indicator of the health of a church and also the health of a Christian. Jesus obviously told us that that a, a tree is known by its fruit. And now a Christian, their spiritual well-being, their, their sanctification, if you like, is known by their love. If a Christian is loving, then they are spiritually growing. They are in living in the joy of God's salvation. And we see from these verses that the Thessalonian church were doing very well in this area. Paul says there in verse 9, uh, You have no need for anyone to write to you. They were a church who, who, who were being praised for the love which they are showing to one another. And, and rightly so, for we, we see in, the, in verse 10 that they are loving all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And what's the reason for this? Why has this church got such a great love between them? When you see the other churches in the New Testament and and you see some churches in really difficult circumstances, you read the likes of Corinthians and and really the the, the horrible things that you, you read of there, of the circumstances that they've got themselves into, well, why is it that this church here in Thessalonica is doing so well in loving one another? Well, we're told there, aren't we? Verse 9. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Paul is saying, I myself don't need to write to you, for you already know how to love one another. God taught you how to love one another. Now what does this mean? Well, I suggest it wasn't uh, an instant thing that one night they just woke up and they were empowered to just easily love one another. We know it doesn't work like that. But I will say, and we see this in First John, that the greater our love is for God, the greater our love will be for our brother. And our love for God stems from God's love for us. Now as we think about that, we think about the fact that God's love for us is unchanging. And it couldn't be any greater. There is no um, lacking in God's love for us. And so our love for God should always be getting greater. We will never love God enough. At least not in this life. And so we should always be loving God more and more as a growing Christian. And so we should also always be loving our brothers and sisters in Christ more and more as we grow as a Christian. So what's the motivation for God's for our love for our brothers? Well, it's it's God's love for us. And so really when you when you see that system of 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 God loves us and so we love God and then we also love our brothers and sisters, there is no reason why we shouldn't be loving our brothers and sisters and our love of our brothers and sisters is dependent on our understanding of God's love for us. It's dependent on our understanding of the fact that the Almighty Creator, the one who is the Alpha, the Omega, the Creator of all things, the one who we should have bowed down to even in our sin before He did anything for us, He deserved our worship, just because He's God. 
the one who will outlive all things and who was before all things, the one who is outside of all things, for he created everything, came into these things, came into the world, became a man, became like us for our sake, but not only that, went to the cross and died for the punishment of the sins of those who had turned away from God and chosen to live their own life in rebellion to God. I was reminded this week in a sermon that God had to do nothing for this rebellious creature. And I was speaking to a friend and he was, he was telling me, he was saying, well, well how can somebody who, who, who does good things and, and who maybe even never heard about God, how can they, how can they be judged by God? And well, the reality is that, that God shows mercy to us. He doesn't have to show mercy to anybody. That's what mercy is. There's no obligation in God to save us, but he has chosen to save us because of the greatness of his love. And so, as we reflect on the greatness of God's love, as we think about this great love with which he has loved us, that we should be called children of God, as we think about the standing that we have right now, that we have been raised into the heavenly places, that we are, we are no longer under the, the constraint and the, and the power of sin, that we have been transformed into this new life in Christ, that we have the hope of eternal glory with joy which is really inexpressible in words, that we have the hope to be one day with our Creator in a blessed union with Him, that we shall be sons and so if sons then heirs, that we shall be raised with Christ in the hope of all these things, in the light of these things, how can we not love God? How can we not love the one who has saved us? And if we love the one who has saved us, then we love our brother. For the one who has saved us has commanded us to do that. Now when I say brother, I, I mean brother and sister. So, if God has loved us, and he has told us to love our brothers and sisters, then it is a given that we love our brothers and sisters. And so the Thessalonian church, they were taught to love one another by God's love for them. And I would suggest to you that they loved one another in such a way as this because... They understood a great deal of the love with which they had been loved. And so as we struggle to love our brother and we struggle to love our sister and as we go through these difficult times, well, let's reflect on the love of God. Let's think about his person. Let's think about the glory of Christ and how that Christ, God, was crucified for us. And this one who loved us with such great a love has told us, now love your brother. Now in this passage there's actually two words used for love in the first verse. You'll see it there now concerning brotherly love. That's the first brotherly love. You have no need for anyone to write to you. For, your, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Now there are two different words in the Greek. Brotherly love and love. In the English we use love for a variety of things. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this. You know, I, I love a good meal. I, I, I love mountain biking. I love all these different things. But then I also love my mother. And I think my mother would be offended if I said that I love her in the same way that I love spaghetti bolognese. 
because the love that I have for my mother is of a, a far higher and purer and, and, and greater kind than the love that I, the fondness, if you like, that I would have for that food. Now the words in the Greek, um, where it says love, the second time it's used, um, that's an agape love. This love we hear of often, it's the most common word for love in scripture. And it's, it's a decision, it's really a decision less than a feeling to be dedicated to the object you're loving. It's, it's not saying that, oh, if I feel like loving you, I will love you. It's saying, I am going to love you, I am going to care for you, I am going to give my very best for you. It's independent of circumstances, it doesn't change from day to day. It's, it's, it's when a husband says to his wife on their wedding day that he, he will love her for the rest of their lives. It's, it's not meaning that every single hour of every single day he's going to just be absolutely enthralled by her. <laughs> but he's saying that he has made a decision to love her. And that's an agape love. Now the other love, that brotherly love, is, is phileo. Um, the actual word there is Philadelphia. It's 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 um, a, a fondness of brothers. Now, what that means, it is more based on feelings. That's more of the love that I would have for food. <laughs> it's the response of the human heart to what appeals to it as pleasurable. And now that can vary, that does change, and, and it, it depends on how much we are enjoying something. It's far more of a feeling than a decision. That's the love that the husband has for his wife when he's looking into her eyes saying his vows, but then the next day that love might have changed. You know, when they're having an argument, he will still love her with an agape love, he'll still be dedicated to her, he'll still be devoted to her, but then... He might not have the same affection for her that he had at that moment. And that's quite a normal thing. Another good example is God's love towards us. Now, before we were Christians, before we trusted in Christ as our Saviour, God loved us with an agape love. It's the highest form of love. He, he loved us so much as to give us a son, so it must be the highest form of love. But that love wasn't earned by us. It was in no bearing to what we had done. There was nothing deserving in us of, an, of a love from God before we were Christians, when we were sinners. But yet he loved us with this agape love. But the glory of this is that now as we are in Christ, God loves us with a phileo love and an agape love. The Almighty God actually takes pleasure in our lives because in us he sees the righteousness of Christ. And that is a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing to think that God now takes pleasure in us. He no longer just loves us um, in, in that way, but now he loves us even more than he did in a phileo love. It's also seen in, in, in John when when Jesus says to Peter, you know, they, they come off the boat, and Peter obviously had betrayed Jesus, this is after Jesus' resurrection, and they are, they are out on the boat fishing, and Jesus sees Peter, sorry, Peter sees Jesus from the boat, um, and he puts on his clothes, he gets out of the boat, he swims to the shore, 
and then they have they have breakfast together. And Jesus says to Peter, it's known as Peter's restoration. It's Jesus reinstating him as the person who he will use to foundation his church. Peter, Jesus says to Peter, he says, do you love me? And he says that with an agape love, the highest form of love. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. But then Peter answers with a filial love. Peter's learnt his lesson that, you know, those claims he made in the upper room when he said, I will never betray you, even if they all go, I'm not going to go, Lord. He's learnt his lesson. He's been humbled to the point where he says, I'll love you with a filial love. And then Jesus says again, do you love me? Do you love me with an agape love? And Peter responds, I love you with a phileo love. And then in the third time Jesus says, do you love me, phileo? Do you phileo me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. It is a lesser form of love, but it is love nonetheless. And so when, when, when we see it in this passage, we know that we are called to have both kinds of love. I think this is an issue um, that I've seen sometimes in my own life, in fact often in my own life, where we can fall into the habit, and it's an unbiblical thing to think that I need to, to be dedicated to my brothers and sisters, I need to be willing to die for them, but I don't actually have to like them. You know, and I just, I just have to be willing to give everything for them, but then actually this fondness, you know, that's, that's a feeling, and so I don't have to have that. Well, you read Second Peter, you read Second Peter 1, and he says, supplement your, your faith with virtue, and, and so on. And then at the end of that list, he says, supplement um, with brotherly love, and brotherly love with love. Now, that's the two types of love. That's, that's a fondness of one another. And it's also a dedication to one another. We're called to have both. Now, that's a real challenge. And if we have one and not the other, it's not a great situation. For if we just have a fondness to one another, if we just get along with one another, but we're not actually willing to die for one another, then that's an issue as well. But if we're willing to die for one another, well, that's an excellent thing. That's going to be very difficult to do if we don't actually get along with one another. And you say, well, if a filial love is a feeling, how can I just, you know, just bring up this feeling from inside me? Well, once again, it's from the love of God. If we understand the love of God, then it is a natural thing that we love one another with a genuine, heartfelt love. A love which would care for one another. Yes, a love which would be willing to die for one another, but also a love which is rejoicing to see one another which loves to hear of one another's achievements, which, which loves to hear when people are doing well, which is concerned when people aren't doing well, which would pray for one another. We have to have both these kinds of love. And now we see in, in verse 10 that, that because the, the, the church had these loves, that they were able to do great things for the Lord. They, they loved all the brothers throughout Macedonia. I'm sure you don't need me to tell you this, but Macedonia is a province, um, or was a province within the Roman Empire, uh, and there would have been a few churches dotted about it at the time of Paul's writing, and and Paul is saying, you know, you are doing excellent. You, you know, I've heard reports of you loving loving so many people. 
Your love does not just extend to within the church, but it actually extends to other believers in other churches. And this is a fantastic thing. It's almost like their love is actually just overflowing out of the top and into these other churches. Now we actually read of this love in, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says then in verse 1, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. You know, Paul is saying there, these these Macedonian these Macedonians Christians, that would include the Thessalonians, they're saying, you know, their love is so great that even when they had given so much, even when they had given so much of their money to the point where they were in poverty, where they were really struggling, they were still giving more. And Paul was saying to them, look, you need to stop. You, you're, you're going to really struggle if you give me this money. But they saw, they saw it as a favour. They were longing to give to Paul. That was the extent of their love. And it all comes from their love for God, from God's love for them. And I think verse 5 is important there. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And you see, it's, it's a thing, and I've, I've said before, that the, the, the Christian have, must, must have the perspective where Christ is preeminent. Now that's a given. Christ has to be preeminent in the Christian's life. Now underneath Christ comes everyone else. And that includes the church. And then, down the bottom, somewhere down there, you, you put yourself. And that has to be the order, and it's so contrary to what the world would say. But it has to be the order of the Christian life. A church thrives when every member seeks the good of every other member above the good of their own. Above their own good. When I want you to do well, even more than I want me to do well. When I want you to know Christ, even more than I know Christ. When I want you to prosper, even though, even more than I would want to prosper. All for the glory of God. That is what a healthy church is. That is when a church really takes hold and grows spiritually. When it will be doing great things for God. Now back to... Thessalonians we see there in verse 11 that Paul now goes on to areas that the church really need to improve on in some specific areas now yes they are doing very well in love but they, they still need to improve more and more Paul says there at the end of verse 10, We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. 
to love one another more and more. It would have been easy, I don't think they would have, but it would have been easy for the Thessalonians to say, oh well, you know, Paul's just said we, we love each other excellently, well that's just great, let's just stop there. You know, well let's get comfortable, let's enjoy this, um, this time that we're doing well, and, and, and that'll do. Paul urges them to increase more and more. Now that word urge, it can be translated beg. You know, it's almost you get the picture of Paul down on his knees and he's saying, Look, I, I, I beg of you that you would increase in love. Out of all the churches that Paul ministers to, this is one of the strongest, but he's still begging of them. It can also be translated pray that you increase in love. And this is, you know, complacency is such a danger in the Christian life. And I'm sure we can all testify to that. When there's times where we think that, that we, we're doing well, and it's often in the times that we are doing well that we, we get complacent and then we fall. John Owen, he was, he was a Puritan and he wrote an um, excellent books on the Christian life and, and one that I've read myself called The Mortification of Sin. And it's really about how, how to, to overcome sin and, and, and deal with sin in your life. Now he says this, Do you mortify sin? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. You see, the Christian doesn't ever just stand still in the Christian life. In your spiritual life, you're never just gonna you're never just gonna float still. You're swimming against the current of the devil, and he's trying to push you back, and he's trying to discourage you, and he's trying to bring you to be a weaker and weaker Christian. Now, if you stop swimming for a moment, if you if you give up, if you if you just lay off a wee bit, you're gonna start going back. The minute you stop striving for spiritual growth, you start to backslide. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. You know, John Owen would write, and the Puritans would write, that, that the position of and the posture of a mature Christian, of a growing Christian, is one that despises his sin. And the greater the, the, the despising of it, the greater the dealing with it. The greater chance he has to overcome it. We cannot be complacent in these things. And I know that we love one another well. We do. And since coming into fellowship, I have been shown love, um, which I really could not give thanks for. But, you know, although we do love one another, I know this, we also need to be continually striving to love one another more and more. For that's what sanctification is. You know, it's an upward trend. We're getting better and better in the Christian life. We're increasing more and more. We're understanding more and more of the glory of Christ, of the greatness of His person, of the greatness of His work. And we're becoming more and more conformed to the image of His person in our love for one another. We need to be increasing and growing spiritually. Now in these other verses, Paul does um, um, deal with some specific issues. Um, in the rest of the 
the rest of the passage. It's, it's thought that potentially there was a group of religious or people who thought they were super religious in the church, you know, these um, a group of pious men who were saying, oh, the Christ is coming and so we've stopped working and we're, we are the super spiritual amongst you and I can't believe you guys are still working. We're going to stop working and we're going to sit here and we're going to do this, this, this and we are so much better than you because this is what we are doing as we wait for Christ. And now Paul really rebuking them. You know, they were causing an issue in the church, they were causing a disturbance, and Paul is dealing with this. Now, in my study of this, I was very convicted of this. I was um, very much challenged by what I read, by what I studied, and as I grew to understand it more and more, I really understood that really I see these things in my life a lot. And as I dug into the depths of what he was saying here, I see that these are the sins which I would often confess. But then I remembered that me standing here, uh, I'm not here to lead by example. I'm here to bring you the word of God, and that is what I hope to do. And in humbleness, I would hope that you you would accept what I say here, not saying that I do these things perfectly, and I would actually be preaching these things to myself more than any of you. For I know myself that I struggle with these things. But nevertheless, it is what the word of God says. And we all need to be reading it and applying it to our lives. So verse 11. And aspire to live quietly. To live quietly. Well, to the meaning of this, um, I think it's first easiest to say what it doesn't mean. I think it, it doesn't mean that we should all sell our houses, move to somewhere out back and beyond of a boyne, have a wee, a, wee, a wee field and just build houses there and we'll just live and, 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 and play our instruments and weave sticks. And <laughs> This is not what we're meant to be doing as Christians. We're in the world and that's a reality. You know, you've got to remember, Paul was writing this, and Paul would have lived a quiet life if he was commanding them to live a quiet life. But then Paul also caused a riot at Ephesus. You look at the prophets, they lived quiet lives. But they caused all sorts of problems. And so it's not that we just, we just you know, totter through life and, and just try not to cause any sort of disturbances with anyone. It's, it's not that we just do our very best to, to remain silent and to go under the radar. But what I think it does mean is that, well, the opposite of quiet is to be loud. To be disrupt- disruptive. You know, it's, it's, it's a tragedy that in today's world, and I suppose it always has been, but you see it so vividly today that... That people see success as in how many people are looking at you, how much attention you have. You know, the the successful people in the world, people, uh, celebrities, actors, sportsmen, the people who 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 have thousands and thousands of followers on social media, the people who have the the fanciest houses and and the nicest clothes and and the fanciest cars, the people who everyone looks to, the people who have all the attention, the people who are the loudest. 
Paul's saying, look, look, you're not here to seek the attention of everyone. You're not, you're not here to come in a pink suit and grab everyone's eyes. Your purpose in this life is to draw attention to Christ. And you know, the more attention we draw to ourselves, the less attention we draw to Christ. And so often we see ourselves getting in the way of this and we, we, we get caught up in the service and think that, you know, if I'm up there and, 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 and I, can, I can do things and, and make myself known, whereas actually the more we do that, the less Christ is known. So yes, it shows itself in these things, but it's a heart issue. Am I seeking Christ to be magnified in my life? Now this comes into all sorts of areas, and especially in the church and in, in what goes on within the church. Um, if we are always seeking to magnify Christ, if we are always seeking to glorify Christ, we will always be seeking to do His will, we will always be seeking to love one another. And so Paul says, live quietly. This should be the goal of the Christian. That the attention of people's lives is not brought to ourselves but that we might be stepping to the side and that we might show the glory of Christ. For he is true, truly worthy of that. And to mind your own affairs. I feel like this one's slightly more um, simple to understand. To mind your own affairs, to mind your own business, to, to focus on what you are doing yourself and not just always getting involved in other people's business. To not be a busybody. <laughs> now, I think there are different aspects to this and different ways in which it shows itself. Um, obviously, nosiness is quite a clear one. Um, it's, this, it's this wanting to know things just for the sake of knowing them. And it shouldn't be the, the, the character of a Christian. We shouldn't just always be, be interested in, in, in just what everyone else is doing just for the sake of knowing it. And it comes back to a heart issue that, that our, we will not be nosy if we put these other if we put the believers before ourselves, if we put our brothers and sisters before ourselves, and if we are, are we seeking truly their good, we will not want to just know things for ourselves just for knowing them. Yes, we might want to know how they're doing spiritually. We might want to know how that, how that interview went, how, 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 how this is going and how that's going. But it all must come from a heart of a genuine desire that they might be spiritually increased and that God's name might be, sp- might be completely glorified. Now I think um, it also covers gossip, often a, 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 a fruit of nosiness. Um, and it's actually, I feel it's more severe because nosiness is really just a, a wanting to know things, whereas gossip then has an element of pride in that you're wanting others to know that you know things. And again, I say this, that I fall to this myself all the time, but this is the word of God. But there's also, I think, a third aspect as I was thinking about it, and it's one which you really don't notice as much and one with which we, we, would, we, would almost, um, we would almost just justify it and say that that's not that bad. And it's really just being opinionated. 
You know, it's the person who thinks that I have a solution to everyone else's problems. And yes, look, look, look at them there, and they're doing that. But really, the reason they're there is, is X, Y, and Z. And if they just did this, and if they just did this. When we do this, we're treating our, our brothers and sisters like vermin. It's a horrible thing to be doing. When, you're, when your brother or when your sister stumbles and you see them on the floor, your first response should be to pray for them. We should not be seeking to just say, oh, well, you know, if he didn't do that, then he wouldn't be in that position. And oh, well, I, I told him years and years ago that he would have, if he did that, then that would have happened. We must humbly be seeking the good of our brothers and sisters in every day of our lives. And that covers every aspect. And I think we need to look at ourselves to ensure that we are always doing that. For we can, we can, we can fall into these things without even noticing them. So is the, the deceptiveness of the deceiver. Mind your own affairs. And work with your hands. Now this is obviously something we see quite a lot in scripture. It's something which is specifically told to the Thessalonians as it is in both the letters that Paul writes. It's to um, physically be working for your own food. You know it's about laziness. Um, we see it in, in the book of Proverbs it uses the word a sluggard a sluggard Proverbs chapter 26 says as the door turns on its hinges so does the sluggard on his bed the idea is that as a door moves and moves and rolls and rolls but actually doesn't go anywhere so too does, does the sluggard lie in his bed and roll over and think okay I'm going to get up this time and then rolls back over the other side and thinks no I'll go back to bed I've been there myself. <laughs> Proverbs 6 says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. Now the issue was in this church that these people who weren't working, well they weren't really in poverty because people were providing for them. Because the church has such great a love, these people who were deceiving them by saying, I don't have to work, they were, they were providing for them. They were giving them their money. Now I don't have a problem with full-time workers and I'd like to make that clear. That's not what Paul's talking about here. You see there at the end of verse 12, and be dependent on no one. Now that seems a bit striking when you read that. You think, well, surely as a church we are dependent on one another. Yes, we are. But as we think of the picture of the body, and we think of the likes of a hand, and the hand is dependent on the arm, and the arm is dependent on the shoulder, and the shoulder is dependent on the brain and, and the rest of the body, but then the hand also provides for the body. And the way a church functions is in that the different parts, we serve one another. And Paul is saying, you know, there's people who are just not doing any service, but just accepting and accepting and accepting. Laziness, sluggards in your church. 
and he commands them, he says, he says, work with your hands. He says, get to work, get going, and pull your own weight, essentially. Work is a gift from God, we, we know that. And it's a good thing, it is. It's not just something that God has instituted, but it's something that God has given as a gift. You know, and when we understand work in that in that in that way, and when we we see work as something which we can rejoice in, then it definitely changes our perspective of these things. And then he concludes, really, um, in in verse twelve, so that you may walk properly before outsiders. Walk properly before outsiders. Now, the outsiders here, I would suggest, are the non-believers. Those who are still in their sins, the, the, the people who have not trusted in Christ as their saviour. Paul is saying, you know, you, you, need to walk, you need to walk properly, you need to walk in a, in a right manner, you need to walk in a way which shows how Christ has intended you to walk. You need to walk in a way which glorifies God. So that when people look through the windows of our churches, they see a love which is really of, of, a, of a divine and a heavenly kind. And when people come in their doors, they see a care which they cannot find anywhere else, which is truly a command of God by the power of God. You know, the church is to be a warm campfire in a dark forest. It's to be a candle lit in a pitch black room. And, and, and the people who are, who are passing through this world in utter darkness should have their eye caught by this light. Yes, the light of the gospel, but surely that gospel then manifests itself in our love for one another. And I think it's a beautiful way that, that Paul concludes um, his, his, his section there, because as he concludes it as he started, really. He's saying, love one another so that the world might see your love. So that outsiders... I see your love. And you know, these are issues. Those, those things that I spoke about, um, and, and living quietly, minding our own affairs, and working with our hands, yes, these are difficult things to do. But that's why we are in a church. That's why we have our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is why Christianity is not, is not an individual thing. Church is not a consumer service. I heard um, just the other day of, of a lady who's been a member of a church for coming up to 90 years. And when you think about that, you think of, of, of the depth of the love that she must have for those in the church. How they are knit together so tightly to her. You know, we are a family in Christ. We are not just... A group of people who come here and, 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 and share our like-minded things. But God has put us in this church for a reason and we are here together for a purpose and so we must love one another as a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And let us not forget that. Let's pray.
Our God and our Heavenly Father, we would again want to thank you for the gift of your Son. For we can truly never give you the praise and the glory and the honour in this life which you deserve for the great gift of Jesus Christ our Lord. A measure of love which is incomprehensible to us, a, a depth of love which we could never plunge, Lord, but teach us on earth to show by our love how much we owe. Lead us to conduct ourselves in a manner where we would care for one another and love one another with a love which is heavenly and reflects the love with which you have loved us. For you have placed us here in Summerhill as a group of believers that we might glorify your name and keep us from division, keep us from strife, keep us from any sort of hindrance that might occur from a lack of unity lead us to be of one mind of one man united in Christ Jesus with a deep heartfelt love for one another longing to see one another's good for the glory of your name we pray these things and we ask your blessing as we depart Amen Amen.